Are you acquainted with a know-all? You know what a know-all is, someone who reckons they know everything worth knowing about a subject and won't consider other people's ideas or input. Do you know one? The know-alls of the first century in Jewish society were the teachers of the law. Now, earlier in chapter 20, the teachers of the law and the chief priests who want to kill Jesus have been trying to trap him with questions. And remember, he silenced them cleverly with his answer about giving to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. We're told in verse 40 that after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And then Jesus rounds off the question time today by asking a question himself. And this question is a challenge to the know-it-all to think harder, to help them realise that they don't know it all. It comes there in verse 44, but first Jesus lays the ground for his question with another in verse 41. Verse 41, why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David. Now, if that was going to be the question, the teachers of the law could easily have answered Jesus because there's lots of passages in the Old Testament that promise that a descendant of David will be the long-awaited Messiah or Christ, God's king who would rule a kingdom marked by lasting justice, by peace, by security and prosperity for the Jews and for anyone else who'd submit to their king. But Jesus wants to challenge them. And so he goes on and quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. And the key thing to know is that Psalm 110 is written by their greatest king ever. It's written by King David, who's ruled 900 years earlier. Psalm 110, when you read it, is clearly about the Messiah. It is about God's great king who brings in uh, God's kingdom. And so look at verse 42. David himself declares, Jesus says, David himself declares in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your, t- for your feet. Psalm 110 is a, a picture of God making promises to his Messiah King and it's a promise fit for the Messiah that he would rule at God's right hand and have victory over all his enemies. And when you see that sort of promise, it should make us want to be on the side of the Messiah rather than to be numbered among his enemies. Notice there's no fence sitting with the Messiah. You're either for him or against him. But that's not a problem for the teachers of the law. They are confident that they'll be considered among the people of the king. But now, having laid the ground, Jesus is going to rattle their cage. The problem comes up with David describing the Messiah as my Lord. Look at verse 44. David calls him Lord. Then how can he be his son? Put another way, how can a son of David be a lord of David? Normally, the descendant would give honour to the ancestor. But here, it seems that the order is reversed. The TV series The Crown follows the early years of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. Catherine's a fan, and when she tells me about it, I find one of the most 
interesting aspects of season two has been having an insight, however fictional, into the marriage of Elizabeth and Philip. And you see a very young Prince Charles. On one occasion, Philip complains to Elizabeth, I'm currently outranked by my eight-year-old son. And she responds, yes, of course, he's the heir to the throne. I am his father, Elizabeth. In the next scene, we see Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, made Prince Philip. It doesn't sit right for a father to call the son Lord, but that is what David does in the psalm. How can he? Why would he? I wonder what the teachers of the law did with that question. Doubtless it stopped them in their smug self-satisfied boots, as he was designed to do. The best of them would be forced to think really hard about this dilemma. How can a son of David also be a lord of David? Let's answer that for ourselves. For those who think hard about this puzzle, there's a message, and it's this. The Messiah is more than David's son. The Bible itself here uh, with Psalm 110 is challenging what the teachers of the law thought they knew. Yes, the Messiah is David's son, but he'll also be David's Lord. How? How can that be? Well, because he's more than only a human descendant. He's David's son, but he's also God the son. And that's why David would have to recognise him as Lord. And that truth is one of the things that the teachers of the law weren't going to get. They couldn't conceive a man who could also be God. And even though Jesus in his life presented them with evidence through his words and actions, all the amazing things he did and said and showing his close relationship with his father, The teachers of the law were blinded by their pride, their arrogance. It'd mean, of course, that they who thought they knew all about the Messiah and were looking forward to him coming to vindicate them would actually reject him. One of uh, Jesus' disciples, Peter, probably observed that interaction with the teachers of the law that day and he came to a very, very different conclusion. A couple of months later, in Acts chapter 2, Peter is speaking to a crowd on the day of Pentecost. And up on the screen, this is what he says. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus, who the Jews caused the Romans to crucify, especially people in the leadership like the teachers of the law, this Jesus is raised again to rule at God's right hand and receive the name that is above all names, the name given to God in the Old Testament, Lord, Jesus is more than a human king. He is the God-man king. 
But that shouldn't surprise us, really, should it? I mean, after all, we're coming to Christmas when we remember that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It certainly wouldn't have surprised Jesus. And I imagine that Jesus' mother, Mary, probably told him what the angel uh, told her when that angel, Dr. Angel, came and gave her pregnancy advice. Have a look. I'll put it on the screen. It's from Luke chapter 1, from verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favour with God. You will receive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It is the Son of the Most High who will be given the throne of his father David. That is why David can call his son Lord, in fact, must call him Lord. We must call him Lord. If you love Christmas, if you love the presents, the special dinners, the holidays, the outdoor carols, the bright decorations, don't be deceived by the baby in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. It's easy to just give Jesus a nod at Christmas but not have him in any other part of the year. It's easy to do that with a baby in a story, like we do with Santa Claus. But if the baby outgrows the manger to lie on a cross, then burst out of a tomb, he is Lord. Babies don't make too many demands. Well, when they're very young, I know. They make lots when they're young. Be fed, clean, clothed, nurtured. But Lord's... Lords demand your life, every day of your life. The thing I love is that Jesus is the Lord who takes my life but keeps on giving. I trust this loving, wise Lord like I, can trust, I can't trust any other leader. The teachers of the law are too smug, too know-it-all and lack the humility that would enable them to accept the Lord's claims over them. So at this point, Jesus warns his disciples, don't be like the teachers of the law. You need to be humble servants. Beware, Jesus says, that you don't imitate the proud, self-absorbed teachers of the law. Have a glance at verse 46 there in our passage. Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, love to be greeted with respecting marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Disciples are to beware of imitating the teachers of the law who pursue image and status and wealth. The teachers of the law uh, made their income from the gifts people gave them for their advice and their teaching. 
But it seems here that some go too far and they'll even leave the poor widow destitute. Let her give her house when she can't afford it. Jesus judges them really harshly, doesn't he? They're religious leaders. They're supposed to know God's law better than anyone, yet they're proud, they're arrogant, and they're greedy. Theirs is definitely not the sort of leadership that Jesus' disciples should want to emulate. Better they admire the humble devotion of one of the lowest members of society. Jesus points out that poor widow who puts in only two very small copper coins into the temple treasury. When I read that, I, I thought about, you know, when you come across a one-cent coin in the dirt or when you're gardening or something and next to the cicadas. <laughs> I'm imagining those being put into the treasury. One-cent coins weren't, weren't worth much even when they were legal tender. That's what it's like for this lady. But it's all she has. That's the, the key point. And Jesus commends her for her devotion to God, that she's put in more than all the others because these people, verse 4 of chapter 21, gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. The humble, devoted widow, doesn't, doesn't she make a great contrast with the smug, proud and greedy teachers of the law? She had nothing, but she had everything due to her devotion for God. They had everything but nothing due to their devotion to themselves. Her devotion expresses itself in sacrificial service to God. And so we've got to ask the question of ourselves, don't we? What, who are you devoted to? Is it status and comfort or is it God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? If Jesus was to analyse your life the way he has with the teachers of the law, what, what would he see? What would he conclude? Would you be among the proud and the greedy or the humble and devoted? Jesus, of course, knows right now where, where you stand. He, he sees your heart. There are lots of people who are role models in our society, people that others aspire to be, be it because of their figure their house, their holidays, their money, their personality or their popularity. But notice that as with the proud and prestigious teachers of the law, Jesus judges people who measure their lives according to those things and he judges them harshly. There aren't many in our world who would ever think of seeking to emulate the poor widow's devotion but what will it look like in life if you did? What, what will your life be like if, if your desire in life, your passion in life, is to serve and devote, devote your life to God with everything that is in your life, your, your time, your abilities, your thoughts? What, what would it look like? And why wouldn't you? when you uh, come face to face with the one who is the Lord, do we want the son's censure or do we want his smile and condemnation? I know what's going to keep me going in the next month when there's all these stresses and, and um, all these things and you feel hurried and harried. I know what's going to keep me going in his service. It's going to be remembering 
that widow and the way Jesus commended her. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you really that it's really clear that Jesus is the Lord, God the Son, the Christ, and that he keeps on giving, that he gave his life for our sin and he continues to look after us every day. And so we pray you would help us to be devoted to our Lord. Help us to serve him. Show us what that means and and please help us to do that in the ups and downs of things that we encounter. Amen.